She's the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Follow her voice, a straight dog is nice. She's the pushy broad from the Bronx, oh yeah. Don't be surprised if you want to listen twice. Make decisions, find the right choice. Know yourself better, find your own voice. It's okay if you need help today, because everybody needs a little push. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Welcome, Transformation Talk Network listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart, and I am the Pushy Broad from the Bronx. Welcome to my show, Recovery Recharged, normally with my illustrious co-host, Dr. Pat. She won't be joining us this morning. We send her our best and good wishes. But this morning, we're going to be talking about something that's very near and dear to my heart. And I have a very special guest to help me do that. The name of this show is Intervention, Help a Loved One Overcome Addiction. I know that there are so many of you out there that have so many burning questions as to how to help a family member, a loved one, or a friend who seems to be struggling with an addiction situation. And many of you have written to me over and over again, talking to me about how effective interventions are, and if they work, and how to go about it, and where to get some more information. So because of that, I thought I would do a show about intervention that we do a couple of times over the years, and certainly bring on an expert to answer all of your questions, and to see if maybe an intervention is right for you to undertake. So How do we get the right help for our loved ones suffering from alcohol or drug abuse? What is an intervention? Do they work? Where can I find an interventionist that I trust? All this and more with my special guest today. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Ryan Quigley. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Ryan is the founder of Quigley Recovery Services. He entered into personal recovery himself in March of 2010 and has worked in the field of substance abuse for over a decade. He's worn a variety of hats within the field, which include working in outreach for residential treatment facilities and even owning and operating a sober living house. He is a CE certified event interventionist trained by Karen Hurley and Scott Jones. I am thrilled to call him a friend as well as a colleague. Transformation Talk Network listeners, welcome Ryan Quigley. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning. Thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. So let's start with the basics because not everybody knows what an intervention is. I always think of it as an unwelcomed surprise party. So talk to me a little bit about what an intervention is, very basically. The most simple way I could put it is it's a group of people who love someone who's struggling, who come together to formulate a strategy and a plan with love to get them help. So what kind of problems do they need help from? Let's see, what would warrant an intervention? So the most common ones that I work on are based around alcohol and substance use. 
sometimes I see folks, I've had a couple that were mental health focused, um, but people can also have interventions for eating disorders, um, sex addictions, gambling addictions. So it's not just confined to alcohol and substances. It could be for other uh, avenues. I, I personally just haven't really seen them too much and those aren't really in my wheelhouse. I would you know, refer that to a, a different colleague who might be better equipped for other, other things on that. I understand. So, of course, your primary focus is substance misuse, but certainly there can be interventions for people that are looking to help a loved one if that loved one's behavior is in put into question. And that's exactly what you're saying, mental health and also maybe even um, technology abuse, video gaming, yes. overspending, all of those things that the loved one and the family members are looking at this person and saying, we have to do something. We cannot just sit here helpless. We have to do something. Okay. So let's talk just a little bit about that. When people first come to you, what actually prompts an intervention? How do they know it's the right time when to act? Give us an example of your first calls, the calls you get from families. So most of the time, the families are 50-50 about doing an intervention. They What do you mean, 50-50? So they're 50% wanting to move forward with it, but then there's a lot of hesitancy as well of, is this the right thing to be doing? So we talk through the whole process of how it works in a, in a short nutshell. Um, but then they have, you know, I, I say to them, all right, now that you understand how <clears throat> things will work, talk to your loved ones. If they want to talk to me, I'd be happy to talk to them and see if this is the right decision for your family to, to move forward on because there's factors in the individual's life that um, make them hesitate. You know, are they, are they using as much as uh, we think, you know, do they really need to go away to treatment? Uh, there's just a lot of questions in their minds, you know, will this, backfire and then they'll never talk to us again. So there's a lot of fears behind it. So what are some of the questions that you think family members and loved ones should be asking themselves in terms of whether or not to go forward with the intervention? Let's talk a little bit more about that. Some examples. Well, one of the, the big things in my mind is, is your loved one using drugs or alcohol so much to the point that they might not have another day to live. Is this yeah. a life or death situation? Absolutely. Okay. Um, and sometimes me, family have an instinct, families have an instinct about that. Don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, if your 20 year old son is using fentanyl, <clears throat> what's the hesitancy at this point? You know, let's jump on this and, and get him help. Exactly, exactly. And even if you are not sure, this is the thing for everybody out there. If you're not sure about how much the use is or what the situation is, and if you're not sure about the problem, but you are suspecting of something, 
we would always say to go with your instincts, right? Absolutely. I say if you, if you get to the point where you're calling around and eventually you get me on the phone, you know deep down this is the right move. It's, it's essentially it's just fear that's holding them back from moving forward. So, you know, for in my lens, it's, it's, you know, we're here. This doesn't happen by accident. And, you know, let's, let's make sure you as a family know you've done everything now to help your loved one. Yes, you have every single opportunity. And I want to go, go over some of these very specific questions that I want you out there to ask yourself when you decide what, how to take the next step, okay? And maybe some of these things will apply to you, all right? For instance, is your loved one isolating or withdrawing from activities they once enjoyed, right? Ryan, let's give us some examples of that from our own personal experience. Talk to us about what you might have done. Sure, so... I was extremely involved in athletics, sports, and I kept playing, but I just wasn't able to keep up. And then eventually I slowed down and I wasn't, you know, doing as well as I could. Um, I, I was pulling back from the healthy friends in my life. I was pulling back from spending family time. And also, sometimes it was difficult for us to notice because when we were through the pandemic, we were automatically isolating. So, but now that we've come out a little bit and we've come out into the world, are those people, are your loved ones still isolating? Are they withdrawing? Do they feel that they don't want to participate in anything? They don't want to go out and do the normal social activities that are happening now in the world. Is there a difference in their personality because of these things? Okay, so ask yourself this and see if there are differences. Another thing that I want you as a family member and a loved one to ask is, do, does that person speak or act as though they don't care about what happens to them? Right? I don't care. Right? Can we, give, we get some examples of that, Ryan? Yes, absolutely. So I've seen countless folks kind of at the end of their rope, and they just could care less about their career, their education, their siblings, their parents, whatever the case is, they only care about what they're doing. And deep down, they might still care, but it's the pull of their addiction could be so strong. It almost looks like they've stopped caring about everything. And that's a very good, that's a really very good observation. The pull of their addiction is so strong that it looks like they don't care. And that's exactly what happens. So I want you to think about that around you. And also, which is something that happens all the time, does your loved one who may be really involved and need the intervention, do they deny or minimize problems in their life? That's a big <laughs> one, right, Ryan? Let's talk about that. That's the biggest one, probably. Um, you know, I had I had an individual that I was trying to help um, in the Northeast. He was an accountant. And, you know, he thought his job was so much more important than, you know, anything. And he minimized his fentanyl use. And so he was kind of using that as a, a scapegoat of, well, I have to, I still have to work. 
And it's like, well, you're not going to work if, if you're not here anymore with us. Um, and so he minimized how much he was actually using and trying to get the family to believe it wasn't that bad. Um, so I see that all the time where, where people try to get their loved ones to think what they're doing is not that bad. They'll say, well, you know, so-and-so, right? Well, he was way worse than me. Um, so they'll, they'll kind of pull anything out of the hat to try to get the family off their back. But that, and that's, and unfortunately, sometimes the family will buy into it. So that's why I get hired is no, <laughs> it doesn't matter what your, your neighbor down the road's doing. We're looking at your loved one and what they're doing. So I see the minimizing all the time. Exactly. I know exactly what you mean, simply because there are so many people that I work with that tell me I can handle it. I'm a functioning alcoholic. I only do recreational drugs like um, like uh, Percocet or Oxycontin or fentanyl, or I occasionally use heroin. All the things that one would say to minimize their own use. And then, of course, uh, gaslight their families into thinking that they have control over this, they can handle it, they know how to do things socially. The bottom line is that is never the case. So every single person out there that is thinking about whether or not their loved one has a problem, you are right. Your loved one has a problem. No matter what your loved one tells you, that is not them talking. It's what I call the green-eyed monster talking. It's the addiction saying, I want to keep using, so I am going to tell everybody every story in the book so that I can keep using and they will just get off my back. And I really, really, really want you to understand that out there, because these are the things that you have to go to someone like Ryan for in order for you to stop the pain, not only because of the loved one, because of yourself, because I know you're suffering as well. So some of the other things that happen here is maybe your loved one has suffered some sort of setback, such as a job loss or a financial crisis, or maybe a relationship issue. Don't you hear that a lot, Ryan? You know, I broke up with my girlfriend. I'm feeling really bummed about it. It's okay that I'm getting high through this process. This is how I'm processing my grief, or I'm not working. I don't have a job. Leave me alone. Let me get high. Let me escape into like, I don't want to think about it. Right. Does that happen a lot? Absolutely. They're always used as a catalyst, an excuse really to do more. And in a sense, that's, it's a good thing really, because now we know they're getting closer and closer to their, you know, the bottom and, and at the end of the barrel. So in a way it's, it's easier to work with someone who did lose the job because now it's like, well, now you have time to go get help. <laughs> um, but when, when you're faced with someone who's, running a business but they're you know drinking uh vodka every day that that's a tough one because it's like well i look at how successful i am um so in a way it's it's a, it's helpful that yeah my wife uh wants to leave me now there's there's something that you can kind of have saying look at what is a result of your drinking drug use these are the things that are happening now so let's get off this merry-go-round before it gets worse and worse. 
Exactly. And sometimes we call that leverage, right? I mean, you can see yes. what happened here and this is a result of this. And now you have time to devote to this and escaping the escaping situations is not really the answer because you don't you never really escape. It's still there anyway. Doesn't matter. And there's other things that people do in terms of escape, like maybe they're secretive, maybe they are doing clandestine activities, or maybe they're involved in criminal situations when it comes to drugs, or maybe they have erratic behaviors that are causing concern. Do you see that as well, Ryan? Give us some examples. I definitely see the uh, criminal charges rack up for some folks, <clears throat> which it's another thing that just shows them that hey, you have to take a look at this. Sometimes there's the legal push <laughs> that they need to get some help, um, which isn't a bad thing. You know, it really, it could be a, a way that someone is held accountable, truly. So I do see uh, that type of thing quite often. And finally, as a result of this, because there is an excessive abuse when it comes to alcohol or drugs, there could very definitely be medical com complications. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Um, you know, I, I personally had medical complications and I didn't know until I got sober. I was seven months sober when I realized, you know, what was going on with my body through the direct result of drugs and alcohol. What was going on with your body? So because I got sober so young, my organs were still developing and I was draining them with drugs and alcohol. So how long young were you? I was 18 years old when I got sober. Okay. So my gallbladder, which we all know is not a necessary thing to have, but I drank so much and used so many drugs, my gallbladder stopped pumping and they removed it. Uh, about six months into my sobriety, and it was explained that that's a direct result of your drinking and drug use. While it was trying to develop, you ruined it. <laughs> so that was that was quite the eye opener for me at 18 years old, saying, "Wow, you know, I I, I did a lot of damage in a very fast amount of time." So you know I, something, this is really very interesting. And I want to stop you here because I work with so many teenagers that are in high school, 16, 17, 18 years old, that think their drinking and drug abuse is not a problem. They're young. They can handle excessive amounts of drinking and drugging. Here is the proof. I need you to talk about this a little bit more in depth. Just repeat it again. What happened? Well, I was the, that teenager who, who was an egomaniac with inferiority complex who thought nothing could, could break me. Um, and yeah, I mean, my liver did uh, regenerate, um, come back to being all good. But the gallbladder, I had, they even pumped me with some sort of uh, radiation type of thing to see if it would work again. No. And it's because I drank and drugged so much. So it was explained to me that if I ever relapse and did what I, you know, drank at the same level that I drank, I would have some significant issues. That's very important. Parents out there, this is a good way to talk to your teenagers. If you're listening on the way to work and you are of driving age and you're driving around there and thinking that it's not going to get to you, here's living proof that it certainly can at a very young age. And you're right, because your organs aren't fully developed. 
And that's a really good thing to know. And when that's happening and you're seeing evidence of that, help must be gone. Yes. So how did you get help? How did that happen for you? So my family came together and did an intervention on me. Now, they didn't hire an outside professional. My older sister, who at the time was an undergrad social work student, she, she really did her homework to learn what she needed to do to organize the family. And my parents, who <laughs> really don't get along, came together. My stepmom was present. My best friend and his now wife showed up. And they sat me down and, and they did an intervention. Um, so I was extremely reluctant, but at the same time, I knew this was what I needed. So it took 30 minutes of thinking <laughs> after my father gave me a nice little ultimatum where I said, What was okay. the ultimatum? What was your ultimatum? So he says, Here's the deal, Ryan, you either go get help or everybody in this room is done with you and you could figure out life on your own. And the, the kicker, so my family, I knew that was true. They are not the enabling types. I mean, you know, 18 years old, they were ready to just let me live in my car. <laughs> so I knew they weren't messing around and I had the gall to say, let me think about it. And he says, you have 30 minutes to think about it and tell us what your decision is. And I took a ride, a car ride with my, my best friend. He's still the, my best friend to this day. And he had the words, you know, but the words were extremely simple. Hey, give it a shot. You know, what else are you doing with your life? Go away, give it a shot. And that was really significant. And, and if I could just add, whenever I do an intervention with a family, I really try to work with them on saying, is there a great close friend that can be there? Um, I think those are arguably some of the most important people to be involved when, because, uh, you know, especially with the young crowd, the young crowd doesn't like to listen to parents sometimes, but they'll, they'll listen to their peers. Yes, they will. So all of the millennials and the Gen Zs and, and, and all of those guys and gals that I work with all the time, you're right. Peer pressure can be positive, right? It certainly can be. Yes. So, so you kind of started to ask, you know, answers a, a question that, that some of us think about, and that is, um, for you, your family members gathered around with someone that did have a clinical background. You mentioned your sister, but if families are thinking of doing the doing this themselves, can you give us some of the pros and cons of doing this in the next couple of minutes before we go to break? What would be what would be um, a pro about doing this on your own? What what do you what do you think? So I think the pro is a family definitely can do this on their own. And I happily talk families through doing interventions on their own without hiring an outside party like myself or others. Um, and the, I think the big pro there is there are some people who feel more comfortable with just their loved ones there. 
they might balk at at the idea of someone not you know in the family being present. So that's a big pro for some some family dynamics. I see. So the loved one himself, the one who's in the hot seat, so to speak, is the one that may feel there's a stranger in the room and they're not going to be comfortable enough to speak. I understand. I hear you. But of course, we also know that an intervention means, like we said, a surprise party. Okay, it's where a lot of people get into a room and they basically tell one person, hey, guess what? Right. Finish that sentence. Ryan. Hey, guess what? Hey, guess what? We are here to discuss with you what you've been doing and how you've been living your life and what we would like to see happen for you. Because we are concerned. We're concerned. We love you. And we want to see the best for you. Right. And in many instances, we want to see you stay alive. Yes. And it can be that serious. Always. We want to see you stay alive. And because of that, there is never not a good time to do it. There should never be an instance where you are hesitating because if that's what's in your mind, I want to see my son be alive. I want to see my husband alive. I want to see my wife alive. I want to see my children, my grandchildren alive. And I'm really worried and I'm really concerned. Then there should never be an instance where you turn around and say, I don't know whether or not I should do this. What do you think, Brian? Absolutely. Even the cases where maybe it's a a, a once a month binge alcoholic and it's like, hey, what happens if that one once a month drinking escapade turns into a night you're jumping in your car and not only do you kill yourself, but you kill a whole family, which we know happens. So people can justify and downplay what's going on, but it's it's a really tough reality of what could happen in, in the drop of a dime. It certainly is. And and on top of which, we know that there are so many different ways to find good people and to do the things we need to do. And we're going to talk absolutely in depth about all of these things. I want to talk to you about how we find the right interventionist, what our chances of success are and how the whole process works from the very beginning, because there are different types of interventions, right, Ryan? Different types? Yes, yes, there is. And you're going to talk about a few of those, certainly, and that's going to be very, very important. And we also do want to hear uh, about your, a little bit more about your story and how these circumstances worked for you. But before we go to break, Ryan, tell us where we can find you so that if somebody wants to talk about an intervention, because you work nationally, correct? You go everywhere in the country? I can go anywhere. Yes. Okay. So, so tell us how we get in touch with you. You could simply find me on my LinkedIn, Ryan Quigley. Um, that's the easiest way for professional purposes. And I'm pretty involved on there. So fantastic. Great. All right. When we come back more with Ryan Quigley, stay with us. From the push it broad from the Bronx, New York. Hi everyone. Dr. Pat here, host of the Dr. Pat show. 
For about 20 years, you've heard me talk about silver and the importance of silver. I've been looking upside down and sideways to find silver that was the highest quality. And I think I found it. No, actually, I know I found it. I discovered this in my own healing journey, and that's what we used for me. Emio Life has the most advanced silver available today. All things that harm our health is what it takes care of. Now, I thought I'd seen it all because I've been on this journey for 20 years with silver, but I've not quite found anything like Amio Life. The folks and our friends at Amio Life have put together a special discount for your first purchase of 20% off. Amiolife.com. A-M-E-O life.com. Remember to give them a call. Tell them Dr. Pat sent you at 1-800-422-8148. I've already sent it to my naturopath. Do you have long-term depression or anxiety? With the right tools, you can fully recover from the long-term effects of childhood trauma. Kimberly Beekman at Inner Alignment offers level one inner healing, coach certification, and soul retrieval healer certification. With this revolutionary neuroscience approach, you can experience profound shifts in only two months. To learn more about these offers and programs, visit KimberlyBeekman.com. Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. From the Pushy Broad from the Bronx, New Welcome back, Transformation Talk Network listeners. I'm Ellen Stewart. I'm the Pushy Broad from the Bronx. Thank you for coming back to my show, Recovery Recharged. We are talking about a very hot topic today, intervention with my guest and professional, Ryan Quigley. And we've been talking about why interventions may be very pertinent for you. In fact, with summer months here, we've got warmer weather, we've got Memorial Day weekend, there's a lot of partying, there's a lot of barbecues out there, there's a lot of drinking, there's a lot of stuff going on. You may notice things in your family and your loved ones that you may see as a red flag. And those red flags need attention. Don't ignore them. Don't step over them. Get help around them. If you find that a friend or a loved one needs an intervention. So we're talking specifically about what kinds of interventions and how they work. So let's get back to it for a moment. Let's talk about the positive things that happen from choosing an interventionist. Okay. So Ryan, being an interventionist, why do, why would people choose you? What are the pluses of being, of doing, doing it with a professional interventionist? So quite frankly, for me, individually, 
what I will say is my experience that I was in the hot seat of being interventioned. So when I'm sitting across from their loved one, I can connect on a totally different level. And then of course, I've stayed sober ever since. I have over 13 years of continuous recovery. So I am now able to share uh, that common bond with the individual. Three, I do have professional training on the matter. And, you know, I might not be a full-blown uh, psychologist per se, but in, a, in the case of an intervention, I'm trained on that. And I know how we need to de-escalate situations sometimes. I've had a lot of experience with that because things can get a little hot and heavy during an intervention. And um, essentially, I'm there to hold the hand of the family and get them through it, keep them strong through it coach them and and calm them down if needed at times so i am there as as quite frankly sometimes the mediator between everybody and i am the you know i am running the show it's it's like a play right like a you know i'm the director of this play at the moment I completely understand. And and look, just like in any other situation, a mediator is someone that can calm people down and also bring them together. And that's exactly what you're doing. And you're trying to make it helpful for everybody involved in the room when it can be in a very emotional and even a very volatile situation. So I always advocate an intervention professional. I don't personally do interventions, but I have a plethora of intervention intervention professionals. And Ryan, of course, is one of them. And Ryan had mentioned before that he is national and his Instagram is what, Ryan? Well, my LinkedIn is just simply my name. Ah, Ryan Quigley, Q-U-I-G-L-E-Y, go to LinkedIn, and he's um, happy to do a consultation for you. Okay, so now let's go back to some of the nitty gritty here, all right? From the beginning, because people don't even know where to begin. So they give you a phone call, and they talk to you about what's happening. But what's the first step in the intervention process? What happens? So what happens is I get a call from mom. And I just say, give me the snapshot of what's been happening recently, what you'd like to see accomplished. So then generally they always go through what the, I ask, you know, what is your loved one using? How much are they using? Are they working? Are they in school? What's the, the, the background on this person right now? Have they been to treatment before? you know, um, did they relapse and now they're, you know, using again. So it's just information gathering so that we then can figure out, okay, what's the next step? Who's going to be there? When are we doing this and getting this ball moving? So we talked before and we talked on the break. And of course, we know there are different kinds of intervention processes and interventionists do different things and they have different process approaches. And sometimes you've seen even on TV, um, 
um, videos and, and, you know, films of an intervention process, but there are a couple that happen way in advance. Let's talk a little bit about those, like the Johnson and Arise model, basically for our lay person out there. What happens when the family has time to plan it? How does that work? So, yeah, and that's one where I don't really do those too often, like we've talked about, but I am friends with other colleagues and, and interventionists who do that type of intervention where they have a whole lot of time to plan it and prep it. And I think they're fantastic actually um, because every single duck is in a row by the time they get down to doing the intervention. Um, and there's certain models that the individual is kind of tipped off beforehand of, Hey, we've brought someone into to try to help you, you know, and, and so there's a lot of time and effort that goes into those models where um, slowly and surely things get chipped away and there's a, um, you know, good chance that the individual will make the decision to go get help. So I appreciate those models a lot. And if that's what a family's looking for, I, uh, I have people that I refer to for that type of work. And in those models specifically, and I think that a lot of us have an idea of what's going on, it allows all of the family members to participate and talk to the loved one about how much their drinking and drug use is affecting the family and affecting them in particular. And there is usually someone that is leading this charge, right? Isn't there usually like one family member that is the one that is responsible? What do you find, Ryan? How does that come about? Yes, whether it's the very rapid interventions that I do or one that is planned months ahead of time, there's always the point person in the family who, whether it's the mom or the, the younger sister, someone who's like, my loved one needs help and we're going to make this happen and we're hiring you and let's go. And it's great to have that person on board because you, you need a mover and a shaker. And that person will then be able to recruit the rest of the family to get on board um, because there's sometimes there's, there's members of the family or friends who don't agree with the whole process of, of the intervention. There's, there's some, uh, unfortunately, some folks who, who don't think it's necessary or it's too much or whatever the case may be. So that person generally is the one that, you know, is, is winning over whoever they need to win over and say, this is happening. And it's great to have that. All right. So you, so in the planning process, sometimes it takes a little while because in the planning process, you talk to different family members right? You gather yep. them all together. If it, and I know it in, in those processes and the interventionist meets with the family, the interventionist also asks them sometimes to write letters to be, to be said out loud to, to the person who is involved. And yes, sometimes I've seen the person who is, is the one in the hot seat deciding the family decides whether or not they want to tell him beforehand or not tell him or her beforehand. In my personal experience, I've seen more success when the person who needs to get help is surprised by the occurrence. Can you tell me whether or not you think 
a surprise party in this way is the best way to go? What's your success rate when it comes to that? So most of the time it is a surprise to the individual, but at the same time, they're not surprised because they know deep down they've been living a certain lifestyle that would warrant what everyone did to put together. Do you see sometimes that somebody's relieved? Do they, are they relieved sometimes? I, I had a guy in Jersey, New Jersey, who, when I showed up to the home, everyone's there. He comes out, he's got a cup of coffee in his hand. It's the morning. And he looks at me and he goes, are you an interventionist? I said, yes. He goes, good, because I need help. <laughs> and I was like, well, my day is good here. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and it was so beautiful, really. And then there was a, a, a time where the four sons wanted the intervention and the new husband of their mother, the mother was who needed the intervention. She was in her 70s. The husband was really adamant about letting her know what was happening. He felt she's older. He, he's not going to tell her everything, but he wanted to give her an idea of why everyone was coming. And it worked fine, you know, and, and I try to go with the flow of some, with the, what the families want. Sometimes I do put my foot down with certain things, but like what? Um, there's not going to be any sort of animosity and attacking type of talk during the intervention. Say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. Um, that's great. Say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah, It's really important, really important to me. Um, because I, I want to make sure the person stays seated and listens and we all know, us alcoholics and acts can be pretty stubborn. And if we feel like we're attacked, we enter fight or flight. And now we might ruin the moment. I've actually had to ask families to leave the room because someone was getting too animated. So <clears throat> at any rate, um, my success most of the time is with a surprise. And generally right away, I'm, I'm leading the conversation. I really have to take charge of the conversation. And the idea is to make the person feel you're not being attacked right now. We're here to help you. This is who I am. This is what I do. And can you give me the respect to at least tell you more of why we're here? And I, I have never had someone um, just say no, screw this, I'm out, you know? And, and my success is there was only one person truly who decided to not do full-blown treatment. They agreed to doing individual therapy. <clears throat> so in a sense, yes, it wasn't successful because the person didn't go to treatment. Um, but he did prove that he <clears throat> went, started therapy but otherwise, um, you know, God willing, I've, I've really uh, been in a position where I'm not, I'm not doing it. You know, the, the family's doing the work, you know, and, and the individual is making that decision. I just get to be a part of it. You know, I don't want to take all the credit that I'm, you know, the guru coming in with the, the perfect words to make things happen. Um, I just, I'm fortunate and happy to see when they make that decision. 
Well, that's a wonderful attitude, and that's why your interventions are so successful. Um, you mentioned a little bit, I mean, an interventionist really leads, right? And then decides who participates and when in the actual room of it happening, right? How does that kind of go? You start talking, and then what happens? So I, I'm, a, I'm a free flower when, when an intervention occurs. We have a rough plan, always. <clears throat> and like you said, with the letters, I, I always... Before the intervention, I talk to every single person who will be present at the intervention, whether it's a quick five minutes because that's all we can get or 30 to 60 minutes to really go over more of what we're doing here. And I tell everyone, if you would like to write a letter that's heartfelt, that would be terrific because not everyone is good at speaking from the heart, they might be better at writing it down. And in that intimate situation of an intervention, it might be tough to find those words, but it's easier to write them down. So once I get the person comfortable to sit down, then I say, okay, John Doe, I really like the input of your family now. So are you okay with us going around and hearing how they've been feeling and what they'd like to see for you? And then we start going around and and people get their chance to talk. And how do you find uh, the normal reaction of this, the John Doe, the one that needs this help, okay? When, When people start expressing themselves, what's the reaction of the loved one in the hot seat most of the time? It is so mixed, Ellen. There are folks who sit there just defeated, tears running down their cheeks, knowing, okay, we're in a good spot. Let's move forward and and get help. There's folks who are totally balking at treatment at first. Um, You know, I mean, I, I had a young kid. He was like 20 years old. He eventually agreed to go to treatment if someone would go get him some vapes. So the vape pens, (laughs) he was, you know, hiding in his room face down. And that's what took. I said, go get him some vapes, get him a six pack. You know, he wants a six pack of beer, get him the six pack. (laughs) Let's go. Um, And then I've had people who got really angry. Um, You know, so what happens when they get angry? Have they walked out? What? Yeah, I've had I've had one guy who walked out, got some fresh air, and or went upstairs to his room actually. And um, you know, in that case, I look at who's there, who he's close to, or whatever. And in that moment, I I said, okay, his big brother should be the one who goes up there. You know, they have a close bond. I could see it. Ray Charles could see it. So I say all right, why don't, why don't you go up there and, and talk to him brother to brother and, and uh, see how we can make this happen. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, um, and that's, that's why I, I really like when multiple people in the family and friends can be present. Because um, sometimes, you know, the kid, whatever, doesn't want to talk to his mom or dad or the wife or husband, you know, but the siblings or the friends, like, they do, they do really want like great wonders in interventions. They do. And you really have to be on your toes. You have to be very observant, especially in a, in a, a quick situation, because you mentioned you do crisis intervention. Could you yes. define that for us, please? 
Yes. Yeah, so <clears throat> when I get a call, it's usually an, oh my gosh, situation. My loved one is, just had some crazy events happen and they, I need them in treatment now, right? They, this family does not want to wait months and months. They want to get that person help now. Okay. So so let me just stop you for a moment. So what happens is mom or dad or a loved one calls maybe a treatment center, right? Yes. And what do they say? I need my son to get into treatment. What happens? Yeah. You know, Hey, found your treatment center. My, my son needs help. I just don't know how to get him help. And they say, well, we know someone who could possibly help you. And then they get on the phone with me. And I will say there's been plenty of cases where they back out and they say this, you know, we don't actually, you know what, maybe not right now, you know, and, and then, it, then that's where I say, well, I'll, I'll give you someone else's number if you don't want to do this within the next, you know, couple of days or weeks, you know, that's the time frame that I work on um, is, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it now. And, and uh, well, that's also because what I was trained on, you know, that's the, the course that I went down and, and then quite frankly, um, just being a member of a 12 step fellowship for so long. Um, that's, that's kind of what I was brought up on before I ever took a intervention course is like working with others in the big book, right? It's like, Hey, you want to do this now? Great. (laughs) If not find us later when you're willing. Um, so yes, but don't you always find that no matter what, in some manner, shape or form, and I do that. And and the same thing happens with all my clients. Um, they can start with me and then maybe say, you know, maybe I don't want this now, but they will hold on to my telephone number and anywhere from a week to years later, they will say, I have your number. I'm ready now. Yes. So we always say the door is always open. It is never, ever closed. You will always be welcome when you call, right? The seed's planted. I, so two days ago, um, a, a husband called me who I worked with him three months ago on, his, on helping his wife. And so, you know, it, it was just a long situation and you just never know when the, that call might might happen, like you said. I understand. So crisis intervention, somebody calls up and says, I need to get my son in treatment now. I need to get my daughter in treatment now. Help, help, help. What do I do? What comes out of your mouth? Okay, let's get to work. <laughs> okay. So what's the get to work? What's the first thing? The first thing is getting all the background information of what's going on. You know, are there any criminal charges right now? Um, are there, or any charges or, and then what are they using? When do you want to do this? Right. It's like, they want the intervention, but they don't actually ever know the when. So, right. So that can be as early as tomorrow morning, right? I've had the ones in the same day, same day. Right. So you want to make it happen. Let's make it happen now. And And sometimes that's when people say, well, wait a minute, back it up a little bit. I'm not so sure. Right. Yeah. And you know, I'll tell you what, Ellen, Here's why if I'm doing an intervention, the reason I like doing them quick and you don't know what's going to happen, this is just a good story. Well, it's a sad story, but he's okay. This, this uh, mother calls me in the morning. I drive out three hours to her home in the evening, do an intervention on her son. As we're waiting to do the intervention on her son, his friends 
pulled up into the driveway and I had to Narcan him. Oh my goodness. So he's okay. He, you know, he came to police were there, fire department, all that. And we got him into treatment, of course. Um, but that's why I'm, I'm not much of the belief of like, let's wait forever. Per, that's just a personal thing. I, I have nothing against the planning for months and months, but you know, like that's a pretty significant thing. And, um, you know, I have Narcan on me when I go anywhere for interventions or, or, tra- or any other type of work I do. So you just never know what could happen. You're right. You never know what can happen. And look, if if you are out there thinking about getting help for a loved one, then the time is now, no matter what. The time is now. Stop waiting. Get the help and the information you need. Ryan Quigley, Q-U-I-G-L-E-Y, is on Instagram. He's available. You know Pushy Broad from the Bronx. You know you can call my 800 number, 800-889-1757. You know you can go to pushybroadfromthebronx.com. I will direct you to the right resources always, okay? So now let's talk a little bit about pricing and success rates. I need a rate range and, and an idea and and everybody's different, so we're not holding anybody to anything. But I, we, I want to know from your personal opinion, Ryan, and I know that you're doing this a long time. Do you think interventions work? I sure do. It worked on me. I'm here. <laughs> there you and go. So you are proof positive. Interventions yeah. work. 100%. Now, give us an idea, rate ranges. What have you seen in terms of intervention costs from, from low to high? And also understand out there, people, it depends upon how long we're working on this too. Are they, is it interventionists working months on months with the family beforehand, whether it's a crisis intervention and they're doing things quickly? So what's a rate range, Ryan? What can we expect? Sure. So for, for me, because of the way I do things, um, I don't charge as much as the folks who do a lot of case management and coaching on top of the interventions, because there are folks out there who you'll hear numbers of 5,000, 7,500, maybe even $10,000. Oh um, my, no. I'm not in that realm at all. I have done interventions for free, plenty of them actually, just because, um, I don't know. You know, I don't, if a family is tight on funds, I, I don't want to not help them. Um, no, but you do also, you know, I mean, and this is also something that you do make a living from. So, so what's your average it's, cost? It's, yes. And it's not my only source of income. So I can be okay. flexible at times. All right. That's but your average cost? My average cost is anywhere from one to $2,000. Okay. Especially Fair if, enough. if you're in the same state that I live in. If you're not in the state that I live in, I will have to charge a bit more because of the time of travel. Um, and the expenses. Yes. But I okay. try to be reasonable when it comes to an intervention. Well, it sounds like something that everybody should do. And I know we have just about a minute before we close. So Ryan, I just want you to spend a few seconds and leave us again. You're on Instagram. I want you to leave us with a few words just to tell everybody why you do what you do. So first of all, Ellen, I appreciate you so much for allowing me to be on your show. This has been a wonderful, wonderful hour. 
what I will say to anyone listening, the reason I do what I do is I have watched countless people change their lives. And sadly, I have lost, watched a lot of people not be with us anymore. <clears throat> and what I'd like to do is to be uh, just a vessel to help get people on track. And that's why I do what I do. This is Ellen Stewart, the pushy broad from the Bronx, saying thanks for listening. And remember, everybody needs a little push. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York.